0: Hello friends, welcome back to Fake To You Break It, a podcast that looks at all the issues surrounding fake news. I'm your host, Oliver Cunieri. Welcome back. Good to see you. Virtually, I'm not seeing you at all, uh, but you're hearing me and that's good enough. Uh, I've got a really fun episode today. It's all about um, anti-choice and fake news. Many people may not be familiar with the fact that the fake news movement actually started in the anti-choice movement. So we've got Rewires Jess Piccolo on to chat more about that, but before then, just wanted to share some musings and check in on Trump. Trump Tracker: Where is Trump on the level of insanity? Uh, quite high this morning. Trump had a complete meltdown on on Twitter as he's often, you know, often doing. Guy can't can't not meltdown. Uh, but you know, I, I I just I just think the fact that Trump calls everything fake news means fake news means fuck all you know what i mean that's just my take though i i think if i were to go around calling everything i saw bullshit pretty soon bullshit wouldn't mean shit (laughs) haha see what i did there yeah i did that anyway enough about trump and more about anti-choice movement. So what's absolutely batshit mental in the States, and we'll talk about this later in the episode, but there are fake clinics which exist to kind of dupe women into believing they're real clinics. And this group in the States, Lady Parts Justice League, run by... Liz Winstead and a bunch of comedians who are really smart, they've created a movement to expose fake clinics. Wow, I really cannot say this for the life of me. And if you go to exposefakeclinics.com, it gives you all the information, and it's all pretty interesting. And um, they just finished a a week of action. I I believe it just finished, or it's finishing this week. Ah, By the time you hear it, it'll be finished, but that doesn't mean you don't don't have the ability to do anything. Um, You can share a pledge, you can get involved, and obviously... If you're in the States, you can actually go and protest an actual fake clinic, which seems like something you should want to spend your time doing. I don't know. That's just my take. Uh, Six months into Donald Trump's presidency, we can, you know, pour a little gin and juice out for Sean Spicer, who finally hit his limit. I guess his limit was having getting layered over, you know, layered over is a term which means someone got employed above you. I guess he didn't like that Scarmucci bloke and he said, fuck that. I'm out of here. So he's gone. So R.I.P. Sean Spicer, welcome Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her cross eyes to the show. I never like to make fun of people's cross eyes, but I've just done it now. But she's kind of a terrible person, so I don't feel so bad for doing it. If that makes me a hypocrite, so fucking be it. I will deal with it. Okay, that's enough for me. I think what's best is that I go have a wee because I'm going to sit here and talk to someone for an hour. And when when I come back. We'll be chatting to Jess Piccolo from Rewire, all about the anti-choice movement. So stick around. I'll be right back. Ah! And you're not going to give you... Can you, st- can you stay cat you are fake news? It's time to stop being sweet about any of
1: this. You are fake news. Remember, some members of the media were engaged in deliberately false reporting. Then explain we did not answer. Our press secretary gave me alternative facts. I don't know.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Fake To You Break It. Today's guest is well-versed in all things that relate to clinic access, crisis pregnancy centres, and trap laws, which, for those of you keeping score at home, are targeted regulation of abortion providers. Um, she's the head of Rewire News' legal team, where she also covers civil rights and the courts. Please welcome Jessica Mason Piccolo.
1: Hi, thank have you. Have I f- said that right? Yeah, yeah, you, you did. Most people really messed that up, but you got it perfect. Thank you so much for having me.
0: How are you, how are you doing? It's a Saturday morning. Are you taking in? Are you, are you ready to have a discussion about fake news as it relates to abortion access?
1: I'm always ready to talk about fake news and abortion access, because um, there's one thing in particular that the anti-choice and anti-abortion movement has done very well, and that is to create a whole industry around fake science and fake news. So you really couldn't have picked a better topic this morning.
0: I love it. Uh, And Jessica, do you have, I usually ask every guest that comes on the show if they have any interesting short or funny stories about fake news so just want to throw that out to you to see if you've got anything
1: well I mean right now American politics is essentially all of fake news um if we if we're yeah. being really honest about it but you know i've got um I've got a couple kids and my oldest uh is in is in middle school and so really starting to pay attention to current events and so um and he's very opinionated and he likes to share what he's thinking and so our um, check on that in this house has become nope sorry that's fake news and so <laughs> <laughs> so it's um it's a parenting tool that I would like to thank the Trump administration for offering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's perfect. Because honestly, there isn't a morning where I wake up and don't check Twitter and notice that Trump has brandished something as fake news, which which sort of ties into the topical story today, which comes from the Hill White House pre-but CBO uh-huh. healthcare score, little more than fake news. So this is sort of just a, a story. Obviously, the healthcare struggle has been real in America, you know, Trump campaigned on this thing to get, he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare, but every single law that they, well, every single option that they come up with is worse than the previous that they've come up with, and the CBO has been very critical in scoring these bills, and so... In an effort to kind of get ahead of it, they were like, no, 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 don't pay attention to what the CBO is saying, that's, that's, that's fake news, uh, I guess two White House aides had said. And so, you know, is this just more of what we've seen of, of, of what's happening in Washington these days where when people don't like something, they just immediately call it fake news and move on?
1: Um, This is something that we've particularly seen from the Trump administration, from its campaign on. Um, As partisan and as divided as American politics has been, um, and especially as right now, we have not seen, even from conservatives, the kind of institutional attacks um, when policies don't line up to uh, the agenda of the Trump administration. We first saw this um, when it came to the judiciary. back against Trump's uh, travel ban um, in the courts and immediately um, he attacked the federal courts and now we're seeing Republicans starting to do that with neutral offices like the Congressional Budget Office whose job is simply I mean they're basically a bunch of accountants and their (laughs) job is simply to take a look at proposed legislation and determine the fiscal impact that it will have on the country. Republicans have proposed a bill that will devastate um, uh, the budget and will cause, you know, it It sounds like billions, if not trillions of dollars in, in deficit, let alone losing people's um, health care. And the administration and Republicans don't want to hear this. They want to jam the bill through. And so now, um, all of a sudden, the CBO is fake news.
0: <laughs> it's kind of... It's 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 not funny, but obviously I'm laughing because it's just so preposterous, really, when you think about it. It's like the you know, I think about it when I think about the parks organization and all these others, the EPA, all these institutions where civil servants have basically just been doing their jobs, whether they're Republican, Democrat, really doesn't matter. They show up and they do their job because that's what their job is to do. And suddenly they're in the crossfire, you know, they're in the crossfire of of Trump and prominent Republicans who now have this. sort of sticker for everything that they don't like uh it's just easier to say well that's just fake news i checked trump's twitter this morning he's having a bit of a meltdown <laughs> obviously all the saturday talk shows are on so you know i just picture him in the oval office in a bathrobe just sort of like you know maniacally tweeting fake news media fake, <laughs> news media fake news media fake news media it's like it's like a non-stop repeat and uh it really does make you appreciate whether you go back to bush whether you go back to any president before trump you just did. They you got the sense they didn't have time to do these things because they were too busy focused on running the country or working with other countries. But it's not true. In Trump's case, Trump always has time to tweet, and that to me is really fascinating. It's it's a really interesting insight. But enough about him. We're, I'm sure we'll find a way to weave the conversation back to him. This is all about fake news and how fake news really kind of um, existed in the anti-abortion movement before it became what it is today, which is, you know, just like another talking point for politicians. Um, And so I really wanted you to maybe start us off as we kind of dive through the areas where fake news seems to predate what we know it is today and chat about, um, you know, trap laws, what they are and why they're dangerous and maybe how fake news plays into that. Uh, cycle of creating an environment where the, the, these laws can not just thrive but like really accelerate now?
1: Absolutely. Um, so there's a lot there but I do think um, it really wraps together. The anti-abortion, anti-choice movement has been energized um, and began um, you know, really organizing before Roe v. Wade which is the Supreme Court decision here that um, affirmed the constitutional right of um, a person to terminate a pregnancy you know and and so abortion has become this very politicized very hot button issue Um, but from the very beginning more or less the courts treated it as a medical and a scientific issue Um, and the anti-choice movement has treated it as a religious issue and so we have sort of that um, coming together and that conflict of science and religion which in many ways is as old as time what we have that's different with the anti-choice Movement is that coming together and really politicized. So as the courts increasingly supported abortion rights based on data and and medical science from groups like the American Medical Association, you know scientists and doctors have not in this country, especially historically taken political positions right they just offer data Mm -hmm. and they say you know people here's
0: the stats here's what's going on like this many women actually will die as a result of trying to get um, shifty abortions so abortion access is actually helpful because less people die because they are not getting shady abortions right
1: absolutely that's an excellent example or that when we turn women away who um, need to terminate a pregnancy and they don't have access to it and they end up being forced to carry that pregnancy to term we know that we um, that that is almost a guarantee to ascribe women into poverty I mean not being able to control your reproductive destiny is one of the ways in which this country helps keep women poor. It brings Mm -hmm. them in and out of the work um, in and out of the workplace which affects their wages. I mean this touches on a whole lot of areas and as that movement developed the the anti-choice movement started to see that and so they created quite literally their own research institutions to produce what they said was scientific evidence for things such as a fetus can feel pain at 20 weeks, and the scientific community knows that's not to be true. That that's not true. Do you know if you are doing a procedure, um, will they give a um, patient who is 20 weeks um, and further along an anesthetic for um, the pregnancy? Absolutely, but that's because it's safer for um, the developing pregnancy that fetus not to be squirming around. And there are neurons, there are pain neurons. Developing but they are not connected to the brain yet. So science tells right. us that that is not a thing. But what we're seeing is legislation based on um, that. The idea from uh, literally this this you know alternative reality of doctors and research that says that's true, and lawmakers are able to then pick and choose that. And it's terrifying because we're legislating science based on literally fake, fake science fake science and law this don't care or if they care they are more than happy to use fake science to justify their position that women do not have reproductive autonomy
0: this fascinates me it absolutely fascinates me this idea of fake science. And from the cut, Rebecca Traester, I believe, wrote about this in terms of fake news, fake science and why doctors lie about abortion. Um, And something she said was that there's a lot of bad information about women's health, especially around sexual health, abortion and reproductive care. And it's making the world worse for women for years. So this isn't like new. It's just now we can pay more attention to it because it's just more much more prevalent. And the thing that kind of like started to blow my mind around this is the fact that there are five states that require doctors give patients information suggesting a link between abortion and the occurrence of breast cancer, which, as you've said, the American Metal- Medical Association and the OBGYN, um, whatever their organization is, have come out and said that's categorically untrue. But there are laws which require doctors to do this. So there are th- these laws are already in play. Um, it blows my mind.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things um, that I find really important in having these conversations um, is to pull it back into this scientific framing because the anti-choice movement has done such a good job manipulating it into a purely religious and moral framing. And when we have laws on the books that that mandate doctors tell patients things like they will have, you know, they have an increased chance of developing breast cancer, categorically false, that they w- have an increased chance of developing um, depression and suicidal ideation, categorically mm-hmm. false. This is state mandated speech to our doctors. This is the government telling medical professionals, regardless of what the actual science says, this is something that you have to tell women. And you have to tell women this, quite frankly, because they are trying to dissuade them from exercising a constitutional right. In this country, imagine if we did that with regard to voting rights. If we said you are more likely to develop depression if you vote for Trump. Than if you don't now, I frankly think that that's probably true. We don't have the science for
0: that, but we don't have the science yet. Not no. yet.
1: Not yet. Um, we are pro- we are developing it. It is. It is still early. We are, you know, within the the first six months of the administration. But you know, I, I mean, imagine if we said that about other constitutional rights in this country that the state would mandate that people in, in as gatekeepers of that have to, not that they they should, or that if you know they happen if the doctors happen to have some moral squishiness about terminating a pregnancy but that that they are absolutely required by the government to tell people this I think that's terrifying
0: I love moral squishiness by the way that is a term I'm going to move forward and use like that person's morally squishy Um, (laughs) but I watched a a sketch video about um, trap laws from I think Lady Parts Justice League put it out and they made the comparison of, like, imagine if um, these crisis pregnancy centers were run like dentists. Like, imagine if this, you know, you go to a dentist's office and you're like, oh, I thought this was my dentist, but you accidentally walk into the fake dentist uh, office. And they're like, no, we're not going to take that tooth out. We're just going to let it rot in your mouth until it drops out because God wants it to drop out. And it's it's interesting because no one thinks about this application anywhere except in women's reproductive rights and that's saying something like to me i think uh, if this was affecting 100 percent of the population i think 100 at least maybe 70 percent more people would be paying attention because it directly impacted their lives but it seems like when it comes to reproductive rights there's almost this sort of thing of like eh, well it seems fine it my wife's fine we're fine They're not a problem, right? Like, it's it's something that I don't feel a lot of people feel the sort of cause of taking it up because it doesn't directly impact them, though it probably does in some roundabout way. If you've got a mother, sister, wife, cousin, it would impact their lives, but no one seems to treat it that way.
1: Yeah, I think that there are a couple different points there that you bring up. I mean, first, I I do think there's this understanding or at least um, sort of an assumption within certain parts of the population that um, because abortion is legal, it's accessible. And I think that it would blow some people's minds to learn that there are seven states in the United States that only have one abortion Provider. One place. So you go to a state like Kentucky, which is a pretty big state. Wow, big state. And they've got one provider, they've got one
0: clinic. So you might have to travel three hours maybe four hours to to get an abortion if you needed one
1: yeah potentially out of state and then you must navigate all of the additional state level restrictions that each state puts on those abortions so sometimes you would have to travel four five six hours to a clinic and then there's a waiting period that requires two different visits to the doctor so you would go to the doctor on the first visit and then you have to wait another 24 48 hours before
0: you before you can
1: before have a procedure. If you are a you know wage worker, if you are someone who, for example, works as a nursing assistant in a hospital, you don't have. I mean, you're on hourly. You have to take paid time off for that. If you have children, you have to find childcare. I mean, so these are you know these are procedures that aren't covered usually um, by. Uh, Insurance and they're definitely not covered by Medicaid, which are which is our country's public health insurance program for low-income people. So you also have to pay for these procedures out of pocket, and that can run anywhere from five hundred to ten thousand dollars, depending on where you are along in your pregnancy and what's going on. So you know that is just one little pocket of it. And you mentioned trap laws, and trap laws are particularly devious because what they are are. Um, uh rest, they are restrictions on such things as the physical size of the doorways within clinics that are designed to make clinics too expensive to run too expensive to update um, and in you know just too expensive to open new ones um, and they only target abortion clinics this isn't like you said going to the de- dentist office and all of a sudden having the legislature say you know what we need to make sure that we can get gurneys in and out of here in case Somebody has a medical prece- a medical event that requires getting them to the emergency room. Well, if there's mm-hmm. a medical event at any at any clinic, regardless of what the medical procedure <laughs> is, they have a process for getting patients to the emergency room. Right, you know? they'll and get I, them
0: in and out of the room they'll, into they'll, an ambulance exactly, and.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, these are professionals who know what they're doing, and it's offensive to have a huckleberry farmer in Arkansas say that they don't know this. Um, and those are the people who are legislative this stuff. And so they make this very, very expensive. And then they are so cynical because when they're passing these laws, they insist that they are designed to advance patient safety, that what they're doing is making the procedure safer for patients. We know from science, from stuff that is not fake news, that abortion is one of the safest medical procedures. It's safer than getting a colonoscopy, for example. Oh my God. Um, And so this this is garbage. And thank Hopefully... When this, when one of the trap laws in Texas was challenged, it made it all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said these laws actually do not advance patient safety and if lawmakers are going to make that claim, they need data on their side. So again, we have, as I mentioned, you know, um, the Trump administration at the top of the show pushing back against anything that they don't like that is fake news. The Supreme Court here has pushed back and said, no, you need specific data. Um, and so what we're we're gonna see is a shift in the movement away from legislators claiming to have the best interest of patients at at the heart and now laws designed on this fake science to suggest that the point of fetal viability is earlier and earlier which is according to our laws when um, we can cut off abortion access entirely
0: now we start to see why the supreme court appointment is so significant um because these these rulings do have lasting implications and it was last summer it was overturned right the is that the Heller, Hellerstead Hellerstead, yes yeah, Hellerstead. that was it's,
1: it's whole women's healthy v. Hellerstedt, and it's a mouthful so don't worry that <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was overturned last year last summer and Mm. that gives people hope that they'll be able to kind of use that decision to kind of push back on some of these trap laws but what is undetermined at this moment is the degree to which people will be able to do that given the trump administration and the fact that so many of these trap laws were passed during obama's time in office and he was for all obviously a democratic um president but also these things were happening on his watch so it's you know anyone's guess what could happen with uh trump's administration who is the lady that trump just appointed as his um his lady on reproductive health or on women's health uh. Kathy L-
1: Oh uh, yes, yeah, so he's got a couple. Um, which, who, is, which one in particular are you thinking of? Because one thing that the Trump administration has done a smashing job of is filling its entire cabinet with anti-science, anti-reproductive rights activists.
0: I think her name is Kathy Lipponi. Oh sure. And, and she wrote a book that basically said women who were on the pill were more likely to develop ovarian cancer or have their uteruses fall out or become useless, something insane. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was no science to back it up. But that's where we're at. Like people can just write books. I'm constantly wondering how do I get, how have I not published a book? Because you can write any nonsense about anything, and someone will go, "Yeah, we'll publish that." Um, um, I think you need
1: to be a lot more conservative. <laughs> 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 Frankly, I think that's how you get a book contract these days. <laughs> Is be outrageously Fair conservative.
0: Fair enough. And have like insane views, apparently. Like maybe I should create a ca- character. Sometimes I joke around, I do an Alex Jones impersonation <laughs> on this podcast. And uh, sometimes I joke that I should be the liberal Alex Jones and just like scream truth at people. And, and maybe that will get more attention. But no, that the verdict's out on that. <laughs> um,
1: well, you bring something- up a really interesting point that I would like to talk about for one second. And that's this thing that's this anti-contraception um, part that we see from the administration because, you know, a lot of focus is on abortion rights, but the reality is these people are coming for contraception rights too, and um, you know, this this book um, that you mentioned that you know, talks about the dangers of the pill in terms of um, all of these medical conditions, one of the things that cracks me up about that, and I, I suppose doing the work that I do, you need to have a little bit of gallows humor, but the idea <laughs> idea that, um, you know, this is this is a person who purports to have a science background that is basically making the same arguments that, um, uh, you know, pseudoscientists made in the 18th century, the 17th century, that, you know, the idea that hysteria is literally a woman's womb dropping out and sort of free floating around and landing on somebody and making them mentally ill and and here we have somebody in the Trump administration effectively saying that same thing effectively saying that the free-floating womb is a reality and one that we all need to worry about
0: Wow so um, i
1: just i wanted to make that point because i think it's hysterical but it's also um kind of a terrifying reflection of just how anti-science this administration is which again makes them so willing to lash out at anything that is a contrary to their world view as fake news
0: you've just made me think of something else which i haven't had cause to talk about but um A lot of people, I'm assuming you watch The Handmaid's Tale or at least read the book. Oh, Um, absolutely. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Because it was, how could you not? Obviously the the parallels are, you know, they're just there. And so I'm constantly surprised when people watch something like The Handmaid's Tale and go, wow, that could never happen here. And it's like, it's already happening, guys. Like this isn't like, uh, what, if you control reproductive um, access, you essentially force women to have children they don't want to have those children or whether they do or don't like it totally impacts their life because you can't go to work for nine months pregnant and people don't quite frankly there are great laws all over the world in terms of paternity and maternity leave but we can't Discount the fact that sometimes when you do leave the workforce to have a child, you do fall behind and someone does come in, you know, so it impacts everything. And people watch that show and we're like, wow, what a great piece of fiction. And it's like, well... I don't know that it's entirely fictional. Like, you could see it. You could see it. What did you guys think? Or what did you think watching The Handmaid's Tale?
1: Well, a couple things. First of all, I think Margaret Atwood is absolutely right when she says she does not write fiction (laughs) Um, that (laughs) that she takes. Um, And I've had the great pleasure of meeting her twice, and and she is as every bit um, as salty and charming in real life as you would expect her to be, and right on the money with this stuff. Um, You know, and you also mentioned a couple things. There are a lot of great paid family leave policies, the United States is among the worst in the world um, of those. So it's particularly an exacerbated issue here. Um, we really do not treat our new parents fairly, whether um, it is, you know, in terms of access to health care or access to paid leave. Um, Republicans are just, um, quite frankly, um, cruel and, immor- and immoral, in my opinion, on this issue. Um, but in terms of, of the handmaid's tale and that it's already happening, it absolutely Absolutely, is it's not just that we're talking about coerced birth. Um, in abortion access, we have examples specifically of women being criminally prosecuted under the argument that they are behaving in a way that is causing damage to their fetus, even if that fetus is not viable. We had a case Whoa. out of Wisconsin. There's a law on the books in Wisconsin that actually allows social service workers to indefinitely detain. And force women into um, treatment facilities if they believe that they are engaging in behavior that is substantially harmful to the fetus and so that means that if you are a woman for example and you were in a car crash and you were taking oxycontin as a result of this this is a this is a big part of of the you know opioid um, issue that the United States is having right now is that these are prescription painkillers as a result of workplace injuries those kinds of things Um, if you are in wisconsin and you were to disclose that you are still taking that there's a really good chance that you are going to end up in a situation where you have to agree to medical treatment regardless if you have a a substance use disorder or not and then um, in that proceeding the state appoints an attorney for your Fetus for your developing pregnancy. Um, wow. The per, the person is not entitled to um, uh, uh, or not guaranteed an attorney. And as these proceedings go on, there's a real chance that you lose your your patern- your uh, parental rights. So, that's you know, and, insane. And the state and the Supreme Court, I mean, this is, a, this is a case that's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court just issued an order this, um, this summer that said while the legal challenges to this law proceeds, they're going to let it stay in place. So we're already jailing women for failed pregnancy outcomes. And we're not just doing this. The state of Tennessee, there's, a, there's an article that came out this week that there's a prison in the state of Tennessee that is offering reductions in sentences to prisoners who agree to vasectomies
0: what
1: yeah i'm not making this stuff up um and this is flat out reproductive coercion so when we talk about abortion rights in this country i i try to make it a point to say it's not just about the state telling you when to have a baby it's the state telling you who can have a baby and who can't have a baby and how many babies you can have and yeah
0: that's like china like exactly one exactly. baby rule so what's the difference
1: Exactly. We've just politicized it slightly differently here. And so as a result, you know, um, we have these extensively coercive reproductive policies. At the same time, you know, we focus specifically on the attacks on women because, quite frankly, the conservatives are a bunch of misogynists.
0: Uh, I just want to give a quick plug. You mentioned back that uh, U.S. has some of the worst maternity um care options i just want to give a shout out to ivanka trump and all she's doing because Uh, we all know she is the leader she's at the forefront of women's rights in the workplace and in the white house so thank you so very much ivanka for all you're doing no one appreciates it um (laughs) with that said let's move on to this from rewire from nicole knight Hawaii anti-choice clinics are suing for the right to lie to pregnant people. Now, this is when I started to realize, like, fake cl- fake abortion clinics are insane, and they absolutely fascinate me because, correct me if I'm wrong, but these fake clinics are typically religious-run non-profits... And the staff aren't necessarily medical professionals. In fact, they are more likely to be non-medical professionals. They're just average Janes and Joes who work, and um, they exist basically to kind of discourage people from ending their pregnancies.
1: Yeah, they. Is that they, have I got they, it right? Yeah, they exist to, to try and trick and deceive women out of um, ending their pregnancies, and it's really so. It's really fascinating. Um, I, you know these crisis pregnancy centers are branded this is this is where i give the anti abortion anti choice movement a lot of credit they have fantastic marketers they know how to brand themselves they know how to brand their movement they know how to brand their ideology in a way that is confusing to people who are not engaged in these political issues at a very specific level and so a crisis pregnancy center on its face sounds very reasonable right you find your i mean you're
0: in you're in trouble like when i hear crisis pregnancy center i think right pregnant i'm in trouble i need a crisis prevention let me do that yeah it makes sense
1: these people are gonna help me You know, I'm scared. I need help. Um, I may or may not know that I have a clinic or, you know, a consistent doctor. uh, You know, my pregnancy may be the result of um, incest among my family. I may not be able to tell people, you know, all of Mm -hmm. these things. I may have been the product of, you know, abstinence-only sex ed, and so I don't even understand how pregnancy works and advances, which is a real issue in certain parts of this country. Uh, We're just teaching, um, you know, children and teenagers to be ignorant of biology and ignorant of how sex sex works and then be surprised when they all get pregnant. Um, But crisis pregnancy centers are religiously affiliated institutions. And their goal is designed to promote birth over abortion. And so they do this in a lot of ways. One, they, they like to set up real close to abortion clinics um, so that, you know, um, it looks Smart like that. Smart move on their yeah. part. Yeah. Um, they, they offer things like free ultrasounds, um, even though many of them are not um, ultrasound technicians. And so they don't yes. totally know how to read an ultrasound. And the science shows that a lot of ultrasounds aren't necessarily healthy to developing pregnancies. So once again, we have the anti-choice movement peddling in fake science that is actually harmful to women's health. Um, and then they give out all the information that we talked about earlier. They are the ones that tell you that if you carry your if you you know abort your pregnancy, you're going to get depression. You're going to get breast cancer. You're going to regret it for the rest of your life. All of these things that um, just the, the 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 data doesn't show. They purport to offer access to social services, um, yet those social services are almost always religiously affiliated. And I mean, you know, we can have a really interesting conversation about how kind or unkind the religious right in this country is to single unwed mothers. Um, You know, they may want to hand out a few diapers here and there, but it's not like they're going to help create institutions where these um, parents can succeed um, or opportunities for them. To succeed, um, this is simply advancing a moral agenda. And you know, Rewired did a, a short 20-minute documentary called "Care and Chaos" that really shows what it's like at the front door of abortion um, clinics and just the gauntlet of protesters and and amplification. You know, people on stereo systems calling them whores, even if they're you know terminating a pregnancy that's already failed. I mean, if you have a stillbirth, can you imagine going through that? It's terrible. these, yeah. these people are so cruel it's it, it, I mean you know it's difficult sometimes to even even talk about but in the film you see that um, they don't set up a fake clinic in Charlotte but what they do is put up a couple ultrasound buses um, outside the clinic um, as a way to try and get patients who are coming in to say no you know um, why don't you wait until Mother's Day let's have one more look at your baby um, and you know depending on those circumstances that's just terrible. I mean it's terrible but but it's just it's it's just horrible as like you're a bad person for doing something like that
0: I think the thing that kind of trips me up that I read about the ultrasound a bit and the documentary is fascinating and really everyone should definitely watch it um I think is the people like ultrasounds aren't just like, you know, you just plop some gel down and you just move that thing around. You actually need a technician who's qualified to operate them. And most of these CPCs or crisis pregnancy centers, as I understand it, don't have qualified people operating these machineries. And in one instance, uh, one of the people that was using the machine mistook an IUD as a fetus, which I don't know how you can do because they look very different. But <laughs> there you have it like they're they not they're not the brightest bulbs in the shed. Um, I think the other thing that you just made me think about is what what can you tell us about the Hawaii case where it almost seems like this lawsuit is about the Hawaii um, crisis pregnancy center trying to fight the need to give out real information about um abortion is that am i on the right track there? oh you're totally on the right
1: track yeah and so we've got a couple laws like like this and hawaii is this fascinating and and they're gonna lose um in my opinion uh so uh, w- um, Hawaii and a couple other states have passed effectively non-discrimination laws in um, the delivery of uh, reproductive health care. And what that means is that simply if you are um, a reproductive health care facility, and it's it, it actually applies to... to to everyone. And I mean, it's, again, one of those things that sounds like common sense that um, somehow gets uh, turned on its head with regard to the uh, anti-choice movement. But that simply says that if you run a crisis pregnancy center, you need to inform patients of all their choices. So at some point, you have to be able to say, we are here and believe, if you are a crisis pregnancy center, that you should carry this pregnancy to term. However, we want you to know that you always have the option to terminate your pregnancy. You don't have to tell them where to go, you don't have to tell Mm -hmm. them how much it costs, you just have to say, look, here is the full range of medical options available to you. Crisis pregnancy centers are challenging those requirements on the ground that it violates their First Amendment rights. It violates their First Amendment rights of free speech and it violates their First Amendment rights of of the free exercise of their religion because they have a religious and moral objection to abortion. I would just like to pin that argument to the earlier conversation that we had about the state in many places manda- mandating that doctors um, tell patients things like they would take information broad yeah. breast cancer. And Doctors have sued, saying that's a violation of my First Amendment, and the court has said no, that's not sufficiently compelled speech, Um, and it's really wacky. And I can't, I, I can't explain it except that um, you know, American First Amendment law is a mess, um, and the courts don't. (laughs) It's the biggest
0: double standard.
1: It's such a double standard, and we're seeing so much of it, and it's going to be one of the central political issues, not in terms of necessarily, you know, Trump's tweets and, you know, Attorney General Jeff Sessions going after every black and and brown voter he can in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, It is going to be a question of the religious right really going after anti-discrimination laws um, under the guise of their religious rights. Um, You know, we're going to, we're seeing challenges to fair fair wage laws there's a case that the supreme court is going to talk about and that i will be attending the arguments for it um, in the fall that is all about whether or not a baker you know just a baker who has yes. a shop in and it's here in my indiana. Colora- in my home state of colorado there's another one in indiana another one in washington that says you know specifically i do not want to bake uh, a wedding cake for you as a same-sex couple um and yes them what the
0: fuck is that about i don't understand it because if you didn't know like one if uh, okay maybe they would have known if you were like this we congratulate bill and ted for their marriage and they wanted like two grooms at the top then you would know but otherwise it's like it's a cake who cares it could be for brothers it could be for sisters who it, uh, am i paying you to make a cake which is what your job is to do bake cakes. Yes, then bake the bloody cake. I do not understand this fascination or whatever it is, but as you said, it's always connected to this thing of, well it's my religious right not to bake cakes for gays. It's like I do not it blows my mind. I I want every town in America to open a gay bake shop because that gay bake shop will crush business. Because you know what I mean? Like, don't bother buying a cake from This, But that's. I guess that's not the point. The point is that no one should be uh, persecuted because of their sexuality or their gender identity. Um, That's fascinating. I can't wait to hear where that all shakes out. It still is. I think what's happening, and I might be wrong, is that there's going to be a groundswell of the religious right underneath Trump's administration. Because if we think about who really helped propel him to power, it was aspects of the religious right that turned out Their support, you know, which is also kind of like hypocritical on their part, because if you're religious and you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for the rest of their lives and they shouldn't cheat or, you know, these are tick the list of things that Trump has done. Um, It seems hypocritical, but I'm starting to realize the whole thing is very much hypocritical.
1: Well, and it shows just exactly what the religious right is out for, and it's out for power. It uses the guise of religion and morality as its way to get it, but they want to consolidate power. And the deal with the devil that they made was that Trump could get them mad. They get Trump elected, and Trump hands them every single part of their agenda that they want. And we're seeing that play out in terms of their cabinet choices, uh, in terms of the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. He is by far the most conservative justice on the court he's young he's charismatic and he is going to pull the court so far to the right um that in this country the the law that it produces will be um almost unrecognizable and i mean we're talking about this cake case and it's important i think for people to remember that the religious right in this country made these same exact um, arguments with regard to desegregation. I mean, these were the arguments in this country that the religious right made about not wanting to um, serve black people, not wanting to rent houses to single mothers. Um, You know, all of these things spurred the entirety of civil rights laws that we now have in this country. And the fight is still continuing on that. They've just changed framing a little bit. And I mean, from a historical perspective, for me, one of the things that's fascinating in terms of watching political movements is the religious right was really organized around the issue of segregation in this country. And then once it became politically unpalpable to be an open segregationist, they moved to abortion rights. And it's almost like you can see in the historical timeline the exact pivot. It's like the, we, can't, wow. we, we can't be openly racist and, and, ag, and advocate for segregated schools and segregated public spaces and segregated swimming pools and, and colleges and all of that. So now we need a new issue that we need to raise money on, that we need to consolidate power on, and it's abortion. Um, and you know, you look at like Bob Jones University. This is all like there's in this country. It is, in my opinion, at least, very fascinating. And so we're hearing those arguments pop up now in regards to LGBTQ rights. And I think it's incumbent on civil rights activists to remind everybody of the history of the religious right attacking civil rights progress under the guise that it interferes with their religion
0: fascinating i had no idea that it had come full circle and that that's where it had pivoted from um but on that note one last article that we should just touch on is from bustle there's a shocking number of fake abortion clinics in the u.s and here's how to take action against them so what struck me is as you mentioned that in some states there's only one abortion clinic in that whole state that they're over 4000 fake abortion clinics like this is sort of staggering. And your documentary, the the documentary you mentioned kind of touches on this thing of, of like, sometimes the best defense isn't to protest the protesters so at real abortion clinics there are tons of protests because that's what they're organized to do they show up they protest and instinctively if you're against that your first instinct is to say well i'm going to go down there and protest them but obviously that that sometimes makes more chaos especially for the women who are trying to come and access care and so this bustle article from emma mcgowan kind of lays out some things that you can do in terms of protesting fake abortion clinics and i just wanted to hear if you thought this was a smart tactic and if you did think protesting at um real abortion clinics is hurtful so people should stop doing that
1: Uh, you know i think in large part it depends on the clinic one of the things we see in the documentary um, is that there are very different types of protests depending on the involvement and the buy-in of uh, local law enforcement. Uh, in, f- for example, um, the documentary looks at uh, protesters in Fargo, North Dakota, and we don't need more cops in front of um, abortion clinics. I rarely think the presence of more cops helps anything, frankly. Um, But what we have is, but what we have in the documentary is a police officer who very much takes her job as an officer of the peace. And so she has developed relationships with the anti-choice protesters. She's developed relationships with the clinic um, escorts and with the uh, providers and, and, what you see in the film is that it's cooperative. I mean, of course they're still protesting, you know, they create a tunnel that patients have to walk through that they call the walk of shame and they, you know, pray for them. They all have rosaries and they're, and they're saying prayers and and things like that, that, you know, it's, it's still not pleasant. So, um, you know, but so I, I think that there can be visceral um, enjoyment and sort of reaction to the counter protests that happen. Um, I think more than anything, Providers and patients just want um, to be able to access the front door without any problems, first and foremost. Um, So that's important. Um, And I think we need to respect that as a movement of, you know, as a civil rights movement. The other thing that is really interesting, um, and that we hear from on the local level, and we talk about abortion rights on the national level all the time, but so much of it is really, really driven down into the local level. And that is that when city councils are getting together, for example, to discuss something as boring as a zoning change in um, their law and that zoning change would, for example, you know, allow another fake clinic to show up. um, Those hearings, what, city council members uniformly tell us is those hearings are packed with anti-choice activists, but anti-abortion or, but abortion rights supporters are rarely there. And I don't think it's because they don't care. I just think it's because the anti-choice movement is so well active, is so well organized and activated that it is, um, it is in part of every single um, element of governance that this country has. I mean, the anti-choice movement specifically runs members for public school boards to push for curriculum that is abstinence. Yeah. And we don't do that. And, and And we need to do that. We need I mean, we need to fight back at that level. My people need to do that.
0: Yes, I think that was the biggest takeaway from 2016 as well, is that people were focused so much on this big prize of the actual presidential that they kind of took their eyes off the local elections, who's running the school board, who's running, you know, like the people that uh, I often cite this example of someone who, like, whether they were anti-choice or not is irrelevant, but someone ran for school board and replaced textbooks with... Uh, books that basically rewrote history, you know, where they were saying like, oh, no, slavery was optional. Um, You know, it was just kind of nuts. And people were like, well, how did this happen? It's like, well, look at who got appointed to the school board there. That's the problem. So you've got, I think, the grassroots, the the thing people can take away from the anti-choice movement is the, uh, the grassroots nature of their ability to organize and get people places and get things done. That's what people need to replicate on the other side.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the the textbook example is fantastic because as, I mean, that, that has long term implications. We are specifically in this country dumbing down our population. And one of the things that worries me with the Trump administration is that the United States is going to lose an entire generation of researchers. We're going to lose an entire generation of people who understand science and we are going to have to rebuild that up.
0: Have you ever read a book by Susan Jacoby?
1: Um, I am familiar with Susan Jacoby. I am not going to claim to have finished her book, no.
0: <laughs> no, she, the, the dumbing down of democracy, I, I've mentioned it so frequently now on this podcast, I, she probably must think, who the hell is this person that keeps sending me web traffic? Uh, no, probably not sending her that much traffic, but um, she basically wrote that book that basically says the dumbing down of America is already well in well in play. And okay. so, to to counteract that, education's would, yeah. gonna get stronger.
1: It does. You it know. does, and it's one area where, um, again, I think that uh, folks feel like if like it's not immediately affecting them, they kid, you know, um, and if it's, you know. Uh, if they happen to send their kids to a religious school, well, then you know, forget it. There's, you know, you're not getting sex education. Um, there are very few standards um, comparable to public schools that those um, institutions need to meet. And and you know, as a result of it, people not only don't understand science, but they fundamentally don't understand how our democracy works. So you know, if they are voting at all, they're voting for people who they don't understand their positions. They've barely paid any attention to. And frankly. you know the the electoral politics is such that they just want to get in and out and I kind of can't blame them
0: I think There used to be civics courses which were taught in the States. I actually was schooled in America. I went to Catholic high school, so I don't even want to get into the sex ed that I was exposed to. I was a Catholic school kid, too. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of civics, at least I was taught to understand how government worked and to understand what voting meant and democracy meant. And I think now that we're in the age of 24-hour news cycles and, you know, like, Clickbait journalism. I think people have become so far detached from what actually the issues are because there's just so much kind of like background noise, you know, and I think um, from an educational standpoint, you know, I think people think of America, they think of Harvard, they think of Stanford, they think of, you know, all these really great schools, the Ivies, but they don't really think of The things that happened before that so like the middle school the grade school the uh, high schools and how those are systemically failing people and people are learning less basically uh, or leaving school without graduating more and more frequently and so the education of the country there was uh, I don't want to pretend I know this this listing but there's basically a few um, groups who look at education across the world and I think the states for the past two decades have been falling further and further behind in math and science which kind of you know are two areas that you don't want people to fall behind in so i think there is a problem with education and that problem kind of fans out across a lot of different topics of course anti-abortion beliefs and sex education being two um i just want to think i think i want to Go oh, go on.
1: No, go on. I was just going to add climate change to that. I mean, I think of following totally. um, American politics, you know, the way that the uh, U.S. is pulling away from the rest of the country in terms of dealing with very significant issues of, you know, natural resource destruction is right up there with it. Why? Because the anti-choice community, the anti-science community in this country um, doesn't believe in it. I mean, they believe the earth is 3,000 years old
0: yeah and that uh dinosaurs and people existed during the same time it's absolutely mental um but you know what's so interesting is i think was it the same week that trump basically pouted at the g20 and said he wouldn't sign the paris accord that that massive chunk of Antarctica broke off that massive iceberg basically just like bye and so you know people can say that that the climate change isn't real all they want but you cannot deny that the ice is melting, like the ice is melting, so uh, once it's all melted once it's all melted, I guess we'll all be on non stop cruises because you know probably be burnt by the sun who knows who knows okay i took it to a place i didn't mean to take it to that's but- okay
1: here's a, but here's a fascinating <laughs> thing on that and and you know something that i think is real the insurance industry in this in this country is extremely fiscally conservative right they exist entirely to take people's money and hold on to it and give them back as little as possible and um in in florida for example the in, the commercial insurance industry um is planning for climate change They are selling um, insurance products for people um, that, when their house in Miami inevitably sinks into the ocean, they'll have the (laughs) ability to claim it. So the insurance industry is on board with the idea that climate change is a problem for them, um, and are and is and are figuring out ways to insulate their bottom line from it. And yeah, meanwhile, you know that huge uh, part of Antarctica was like, see ya. and so, who knows? I mean, we might end up in in that terrible um, Costner Waterworld movie at some
0: point. That may be our... Yeah, you know... I think it's, it's worthwhile telling people to learn how to swim and to, you know, figure out water purification systems because at some point you'll all be, you know, I don't want to say drinking piss, but like, it's going to get to a place where bottled water isn't so easy to come by. And it's so funny because I live in London now and I keep going on the underground and there are all these signs where it's like, make sure you carry a bottle of water. Guys, don't don't get on the tube without having water. And I'm like, guys, hello? what is this? What is this? Hello?
1: Oh, Hello yeah yeah oh i
0: thought i i thought i lost you Uh, i keep wondering what aspect of the water lobby is really going after the the underground um but i guess this is all information that will be left to to figure out whether it's in five years 15 years 50 years i think it's going to be a lot sooner than we think um but why don't you just tell me what rewire is up to and anything people should be aware of in terms of the project I, i know we've talked about it extensively the documentary but why don't you tell people how they can watch it and what it's about
1: so rewire produced a short documentary um called air and chaos you can watch it um, on our website at rewire news Uh, and i think it's a really important film for a couple reasons i think it's an important film because it shows the difference in acts in two different places in this country. One in Fargo, North Dakota, one of the states that has only one um, abortion clinic left, and then another uh, clinic in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And the level of protest, the aggressiveness, the violence, the rhetoric, all of it between the two um, could not be more different. And the reason it's it could not be more different is because of the buy-in of local law enforcement and people um, at the local level who are really there to respect both the rights of the protesters and um, the patients and providers and, and their supporters. And for example, you know, one of the things you see in Charlotte is Kala, uh, who is who is the owner of the clinic. This is a 26-year-old woman, and she spends every day negotiating with the with the city council on uh, zoning issues, on noise permits, because she has. Um, protesters outside her clinic almost universally men on these enormous amplification systems that um, are shouting terrible things to doctors to patients to their supporters and they're so loud that you can hear them through the building into the counseling room into the procedure room and you you hear this in the documentary I mean you see it but it's a moment within the film that's really audio heavy so you get the feeling of how just disturbing that is is. Um- And so I think that's important just to see. And I think it's particularly important for people in this country um, and everywhere to see because, quite frankly, the United States is exporting its most radical anti abortion protesters worldwide. And let me offer you my apologies for that. Um, But (laughs) sincerely, you don't want them. Um, But, uh, you know, they don't want their behavior captured and amplified because it absolutely destroys their rhetoric that they are peaceful, that this is about (laughs) helping and so this is a film that shines light on it and I think it's particularly important for people who say they support abortion rights who claim they are pro-choice but don't totally have an understanding of how difficult access at the front door really is in this country because we need them taking action.
0: Amazing I gotta recommend it it takes 20 minutes to watch it literally you can watch it on your lunch break it you know I watched it doing laundry it was really uh it, it's something I think that everyone should see uh but if you want to learn more about jess you can follow her on twitter at hedgy hedgy mommy i'm going to spell that out it's h-e-g-e-m-o-m-m-y what does that mean?
1: Well, it's a play on the idea of, of hegemony. <laughs> Got it. Because <laughs> I'm kind of a nerd. Um, <laughs> and so I really loved the idea. Uh, so, you know, hegemony as this sort of, you know, mainstream, um, pol- the polit- mainstream political zeitgeist, um, you know, sort of soccer moms. I love it. And I loved the idea, you know, I mean, I am a parent, but I loved the idea of sort of taking that on its head and saying that, you know, here is this um, sort of radical, Radicalized, you know, almost anti-capitalist, you know, hardcore feminist as the standard bearer of American politics. So that's that's where it comes from.
0: Do you ever get people who say, oh, you can't be anti-abortion because you've had kids? Do you ever hear that?
1: Um, I I have heard um, variations of that. Um, And one of the things that I love to tell people is that having children has only um, solidified my belief in reproductive autonomy. And it's not just because, um, for example, I had a very difficult pregnancy, my first one, and um, it was very traumatic and, and, you know, I almost died, frankly. Um, Wow. And but it is a reminder when you go through that that it is uh, there are you are a patient it is a medical event and it's a significant medical event and had something happened and my family had not been able to step in and make a decision to say you know what we want to do what's in the best interest of Jess at this moment um, and had that decision taken away from them because of the state that is a triple tragedy um, and so this isn't just about babies being adorable. Um, babies can be adorable but this is about respecting um, the medical. Someone's autonomy. right to
0: choose the time. yeah
1: yeah you know and and you know the Republicans in this ridiculous healthcare debate have talked about death panels but what we do when we take away those decisions from patients is cr- effectively creating a death panel
0: in insane I think this has been Really great chatting to you, Jess. And obviously, you can check out Rewire. You definitely should. I follow them on Twitter as well. Uh, and they're at rewire.news and just at rewire. Is that right? Yeah. On Twitter?
1: Yeah. Um, We're Rewire News on Twitter um, and Rewire News um, at our website. And please check us out. We have some great reporting. We do wonderful multimedia work. Um, We have a podcast that I would highly recommend too called The Breach that takes a deep dive into all the ethical and... um, uh, political corruption issues we have going on in this country right now. So um, no,
0: no, few shortage of those.
1: Seriously, we have more content than we know what to do with. Um, but please, it would it would be um, an honor if folks checked the workout because I am really proud of both the publication and my coworkers. They the the writers that we have are a pretty astonishing group of folks.
0: I'm a big fan of Imani.
1: So oh, Amani and I, yeah, t- uh, if you're interested in particular on Twitter, um, Amani is uh, one of my legal analysts, and we have a hashtag that is all our own called Team Legal, where we try <laughs> to, um, and please do follow the hashtag, it's, it's fun. What we try to do is make the law accessible um, for folks who are interested but want to you know, break through the legalese um, in addition to having some fun with it because the news is really terrible and at the same time our elected officials are really ridiculous and if we can find a way to sort of combine the terrible and the ridiculous in a way that um, makes sense and allows us to have a little bit of levity and just a little bit of a break from the stress then that is Amani and I's goal and so please um, check out team legal the hashtag on twitter Um, we often will live tweet hearings um, for like judicial candidates and things like that there and those get
0: pretty i love it i love it all right jess thank you so much for taking the time this has been really enlightening uh i really appreciate it we'll talk to you
1: i am so grateful that you had me on and please um this has been a blast i'm happy to talk anytime